Well, good morning. Welcome to North Church. Uh, we're going to continue our series this morning called Simple Life. And we've been teaching on and hopefully inspiring some of these classical spiritual disciplines that would be implemented uh, in our own life. And so we're trying to focus more on Christ as we're in this period of Lent, which is about a, a 40 days of fasting leading up to Easter. And we're trying to focus more on him so we can submit our flesh to our spirit in this time, which is kind of this fancy phrase, really, which means to control our own desires. We're uh, controlling our own desires and trying to focus more on Christ and implement some of these uh, classical spiritual disciplines. So this morning, we're going to talk about a desire that uh, we all have and which is our appetite. I know, like we're in this Lent period and we just keep talking about food. It's really, really hard. But we actually have more appetites than just food, right? So we have, let's think of them. We have food. We have sex. We have food. <laughs> sex. No, we have a lot more than that. I'm going to put a few up here on the screen for you. So there's a lot of appetites. And the definition of an appetite is uh, uh, trying to satisfy any craving that you might have. So there's really a whole lot of appetites. You could have an appetite for progress, always wanting to push ahead, always wanting to build something bigger, do better, do, let's see, progress, maybe responsibility. You crave uh, responsibility. You want people to give you more stuff so you can handle it. Um, maybe respect. You crave uh, respect from people. You've earned it. You should have it. You want that respect from people. It could be winning. I always want to win. Um, and I know that's one of mine. I, I'll find myself in the midst of a game of ping pong with Pastor Scott, and I'm like so focused in I have to beat him. So winning could be maybe love or acceptance. Like you crave love and acceptance. You, people need to like you could be fame or maybe even to be envied. You know, that's really kind of what social media is, right? You want people to envy what you're posting. You, you literally want them to like it. And so you, it's this craving of wanting to be envied. That's actually an appetite. Could be things like collecting stuff, buying stuff. You want things in your life. That, that is an appetite, craving that. Um, obviously drugs, alcohol, craving money. You know, we, there's a whole lot of appetites in our life, more than just food. But you know, we also have spiritual appetites. There, there's, there's actually stuff that God put inside us that we need to be uh, fed, our spirit needs to be fed. And, and God created all of this. God, God created all our, these personal appetites that we have and our spiritual appetites. But God created these personal ones, but when sin entered the world, it distorted them. And so God created these appetites, but sin distorts them. And sin does another thing. It magnifies, not only does it distort them, but it magnifies those appetites in our life. So it could be progress, sex, money, whatever it is. Sin magnifies that, and it downplays our spiritual appetite. That's really what sin does. And appetites have the power to determine the direction of your life. And some of you know this all too well. You've experienced it yourself. 
You probably experienced it as a child, some of you. You know that the, the appetites that your parents went after, they chose them over you. You know the power of what an appetite might have. It has the power to determine the direction of someone else's life and your life. These are massively powerful and they have an impact. And did you know that your brain literally changes when one of these appetites is exaggerated? Did you know that? It's crazy. Psychologists, scientists, they know all kinds of stuff about the brain. They've figured all kinds of stuff out over the last decades, whatever it may be. But I found some that just are fascinating. And so one is called impact bias. That when an appetite is exaggerated, a one thing that happens is impact bias. And let me explain this to you. Uh, have you ever found yourself wanting something, desiring it so bad, and you never even knew you wanted it or desired it beforehand? Like, you, you could be walking in the mall, you could be driving down the road, you could be watching TV, whatever it is, you never knew you needed it, you've never even thought about it, but then all of a sudden you see it, and you just desire it. I think Apple is great at this. They're, they're so good at this, they're releasing products and features and different stuff that you never even knew you needed. You literally didn't know. Like, something like, all of a sudden they come up with like force touch that's like a third level of like experiencing a, a, a watch or a phone, force touch on your wrist on your smartwatch. You didn't know you needed it, but let me tell you, you absolutely do. And all of a sudden you go like, oh my gosh, like I got it, why don't I have something like, I need it on my phone. That's called impact bias. Really, it, really what it is, it's tricking your brain to uh, tell you something different. Impact bias this is what it means. it means. It's a simple appetite and it gets magnified out of proportion. It takes the simple appetite and magnifies it out of proportion. And marketers have known about impact bias for years. Years they've known about this. And they use it as much as they can. And so really what it's tricking your brain is really what they're doing. We've all been tricked. Every time you go anywhere, they're trying to trick you. They're trying to use this impact bias. It tricks your brain into thinking this thing this person, this experience, whatever it may be, this food, whatever it is, is extraordinarily satisfying. It's, you're going to be so satisfied. It over-exaggerates the satisfaction that you will receive if you buy this, if you experience that, if you in this relationship, you know, whatever it is. It's over-exaggerating the satisfaction you receive. And this is really why you get buyer's remorse. This is why you go buy something, you're so excited about it, you bring it home, and you look at the credit card bill, and then you look at your item, and you're like, why did I get that? I don't need this that bad. Or all of a sudden, you know, you drove, you drove your car for a month, and you're like, I guess it's not that great. Or it, it, it could be, you know, this is where maybe you experience like a little bit of guilt, like, he's actually kind of a jerk. Why did I get into that relationship? That was weird. Or whatever it may be. Another thing that the brain does is it's called focalism. Uh, focalism, it focuses our minds on one thing and blurs everything else out. could also be called anchored thoughts. But like focalism, it focuses on one thing and everything else becomes a complete non-importance. This happens to me all the time. This is like my bread and butter right here. Especially when I'm watching sports. I can be watching sports and I'll stand up off my couch because the game's getting intense. Does anyone stand in their living room when they watch sports? Come on, we got a few. 
I don't know, I literally, I cannot sit on the couch when I'm watching a good game. Like, something will happen, and I'll get, like, this far from the TV, and I'm right, I'm locked in. I'm watching the Gonzaga game against BYU last night, I know that they got to win. And so there's, like, two minutes left, and, you know, they're only up by two points, and BYU, they got the ball, all they need to do is score, and they had the ball, like, three different times to try and make one basket. They know that if they get the third ball or whatever, they're going to score at some point, so I'm just locked in. And Grant's running crazy around the house, at least from what I was told. And so Grant's running crazy. Amy, our new baby's crying. And if this stand is me, okay, Chantel's literally right here with the baby, like right here, like, let me know when the game's over. And I didn't even know this was happening. I'm just like so locked in. And then she'll be like, so are you gonna do that? And finally I'll be like, huh, like, what are you talking about? That's focalism. It focuses your mind on something and everything else seems like it's a non-important. Non-importance. Wouldn't that be crazy if it was just more than a basketball game? What if one of these uh, distorted appetites our minds focus so intently on? Progress, fame, money, sex, whatever it may be that you focus, everything else become a non-important. Friends, family, your bank account, potential consequences, the Bible, what your wife is saying to you right here, you know? You're so focused in. These are powerful. And exaggerated and distorted appetites, our brain has the power to determine, or these have the power to determine the direction of our life. They also have the power to determine the quality of your life. Now, if you just want a great biblical example of this, here's your homework. You go home and you look in the book of Genesis and look at the story of Jacob and Esau, and you'll see this play out more than anywhere else in the Bible. It's crazy. The, the appetite, the impact bias and focalism, what you see in Jacob and Esau. But then you have the power to determine the quality of life that you live. Because the Bible tells us that we find life and living when we experience Jesus. Not only do these personal appetites have the direction, but our spiritual appetite, it has the power to determine the quality of life that we live. Jesus says this in John 10.10. It says, the thief's purpose is to come to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have a rich and a satisfying life. I, Jesus came so that you would be satisfied. Jesus would come that you might be satisfied in life and find rich. And you notice that these other personal appetites, they're never good enough. Anytime you finally got that promotion you thought you were going to get, it wasn't good enough. Anytime you, that you got this amount of money, it's not enough money. Anytime that you had this good meal, you still want another one later on. That They're never quite satisfying. But what Jesus says is that the thief comes to steal, kill in your life, but I've come that you actually might have a satisfying life, something that is sustainable. And I can tell you these distorted personal appetites, they downplay our spiritual need. And I'll tell you that the enemy will always use this. Is your appetite is better than your spiritual appetite. These personal appetites are better than your spiritual appetite. But we know that there's life. Jesus says right here, there's life found in knowing, focusing, and pursuing Jesus. There's life in receiving what he has to offer. And when these appetites get magnified in our own life, it downplays that spiritual uh, importance of that appetite, which will, and it'll always come from Jesus. So really, it's downplaying the importance of Jesus. 
and this will determine the quality of life. There's no Jesus, life's going to not be satisfying. Little Jesus, a little bit of life. So let me ask you this first question. What appetite are you feeding? Did you know that you actually thirst for Jesus, that, you, that your, ap, your spiritual appetite, you thirst for it, you hunger for it more than you actually know? We can actually become spiritually dehydrated. We, we, we can be chasing these other personal appetites when our spirits become anemic and parched, and you might not even know it. David writes about his own spirit and his own life uh, in the book of Psalms, verse 42. This is what he says. He says, as the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. When can I go and stand before him? Just as a, a deer pants for water, our soul, our spirit, it also pants and thirsts for the presence of God, for being in the presence, in the midst of God. And sometimes we get so distracted by these other things that really our soul longs, they, it thirsts and yearns to, to push everything aside and just feel love from heaven like you experienced for the very first time, to be moved to tears by the compassion and the acceptance and the joy that's found in Jesus. When can I leave this place, this cluttered place, and just go there in the presence of God. That's what our soul, our spirit longs for. And that's what David was writing. I long to just be in your presence. I thirst for you. And this just starts with that prayer of thirst. Not just asking things of God, saying, will you do this? Will you fix that? But actually praying, God, I'm thirsty for you. God, I need you. I want more of you. I'm hungry for you starts there, saying how much you love him and want him and need him. Your soul needs him. You feel dry. God, I feel dry. I just long for your presence. That's the prayer of thirst. Just take a look through the book of Psalms, and I think you'll, you'll see this in many different forms and fashions. So that question again, what appetite are you feeding so that your spirit goes dry? You know, and it's really a life pursuit to surrender all these personal appetites. Because we're not, we probably all struggle at all of them at different times, but it's a life pursuit to surrender these. We might not be dehydrated. Our spirit might not be exhausted. Imagine a runner running a race, like a marathon runner, and never taking a drink. And then there's all the people on the sides, you know, lined with their cups of water. And this runner passes by all those cups of water, never takes a drink. But he thinks in his head, uh, uh, man, I am thirsty. If I could just have some water, I could keep running. Well, I can't wait till I get home so I can have a glass of water. But how many times do we do that in our own spiritual life, that our spirit is thirsty, it thirsts for God, but we just say, I can't wait till Sunday comes so I can be filled again. Can't wait for Sunday to happen. Or, or imagine a runner, but instead of drinking the water in which he needs, he chooses something different. He's running the marathon, and he starts drinking a Coca-Cola. Like, is that really going to play out for him well in that? 
Most likely not. And the same thing, when we choose other things than the, the, the life-giving water that Jesus gives to our spirit, over time, we get parched. Our spirit gets dry. Do you feel dry today? Do you feel frustrated? Do you feel empty? Do you feel tired? Do you feel full of doubt? What appetite are you feeding that your spirit is going dry? In order to really experience God, to really feed your soul, we must surrender these personal appetites. I love this series because it's kind of part of what it's about. The simple life is decluttering everything in our life and in our minds and in our hearts so we can more experience God surrendering something that maybe is magnified in our life that's downplaying the importance in our relationship with Jesus. But when these, when the Lent season is over and the fasting is done, do we just kind of go back? If you've been just fasting from something, do you just kind of go back and settle into your old ways? I don't think so. I, I think... What Paul even writes in the book of Romans, do we just keep going on sinning so that we might experience God's grace more and more and more? He says, no, not at all. And, and so there's something about surrendering and then continuing to make that a discipline in our life. And it's a simple discipline to surrender things for something else, but it takes work, doesn't it? It's hard. It takes work. So let's continue to do that. What appetite are you feeding instead of your spirit? Maybe you're sitting here wondering, what, what's wrong with pursuing success and love and acceptance and money? Like, I'm actually perfectly fine with that. Well, let, let me ask you this. Let, let's read this passage, and I'm going to ask you a question. Jeremiah 2.13 says this. This is what, what it says. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And so in these times, these uh, people, they would, uh, different people would do it a different way, but in, essentially, they'd dig these pits, these types of wells that they'd make out of clay or rock or whatever it might be, and they would make these kind of cisterns in the ground that they could go and collect water and put it in there, or they could catch water from, through rainfall. But the problem was with these, usually they would end up cracking in the bottom, or they weren't made right, and they were made with cracks in the bottom. And so you could fill this whole cistern, this well up with water, but since it's not a spring of water coming up from the ground, ultimately those cracks, it would all drain out like within a few days, and you'd be left with just a little bit of mud. And what they're saying is, this is what you've done. You've rejected the spring of water in your life to make something of your own. And how often do we try and dig our own well? Whether you're perfectly fine with pursuing success and love and money and whatever it may be, let me ask you this. What well are you drinking from? And, and as we make our own well and dig our own pits to try and find satisfaction with work, money, food, whatever it is, do you still feel empty when it's all said and done? Are you still empty at the end of the day? When you've tried hard and you've done your best and you've sought out what you thought is the right way, does it still leave you feeling empty? Reminds me of this interview I saw of Tom Brady a few years back with 60 Minutes, where they said, hey, you've reached the pinnacle of success and fame. You've reached the, you've had Super Bowl rings. You're in the prime. You're like uh, on magazine covers. Like, what's next for you? 
And so Tom Brady takes a moment to reflect, and um, he goes, I don't know, I've done a lot, but there's got to be something more than this. And in that moment, you saw that even though that Tom Brady, he has done it all, received all the credit and all the glory, he still was left feeling empty. There's got to be something more than multiple Super Bowl rings. And so I would ask you, do you feel empty? Is that cistern, that well that you're trying to dig for yourself, is that sustaining you? Do you still feel empty? You might be sitting here thinking, you know, I try and read my Bible often, I pray, I read books, study, you know, I go to church, try and do some extra stuff too, yet, you know, I still feel dehydrated. I'm trying to follow after God like I know how, but I still feel dehydrated. And no matter where you are in the spectrum, there is a well that never runs dry. If only we could access this well, the direction of our life, the quality of our life would forever be changed. If we could just access that well, it would be forever changed. And Jesus talks about this, and, and he talks about we have access in John chapter 4. And at this point in John, Jesus is passing through this land called Samaria, when usually Jews would not pass through. And so he stops at this well where a woman is at. She's surprised because she's a Samaritan woman, and here's a, a, a normal Jewish man. And they usually wouldn't interact. So she's surprised, like, why is a Jew like you here in Samaria talking to me? And so Jesus asks her for a drink. She goes, well, why would I give you a drink? Like, what, what do you mean by this? And so Jesus replied, not a cough. Maybe he did. I don't know. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you the living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoy. And then Jesus replied, anyone who drinks of this water out of this well here will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. This woman here didn't know she was standing right in the midst of the God of the universe. She didn't know and she didn't realize that for a moment, she had access to the God of the universe standing in human form right in front of her. Instead, that she was thinking, of, this isn't the God of the universe, but she's thinking, where's your rope? Are you better than Jacob who dug this well for us? I get a lot of good things out of this well Jacob dug. Jacob was a great man. He did many great things. Do you have something better than him? And... I would just say, how many times do we approach God in that exact same kind of way? How many times do we approach God instead of like what David said, like, I long for just you, just being in your presence. Instead of that, we say, well, are you, God, really better than the well that I'm drinking from over here? 
this well of my boyfriend or girlfriend? Or are you really better than my favorite Christian author? I learn a lot through my Christian author, and I get inspired by him in podcasts and sermons. They fill me up. Are you really better than that? Are you really better than the success that I find out of this well? Are you really better than that? How many times do we approach God and say, are you better than this? This woman had Jesus in front of her for a moment. We have Jesus with us for a lifetime. How many times do we approach God? I get so locked into this sometimes where, you know, and maybe this is just me, where I just wonder, like, what's, what, what am I doing? Because I'll start reading, like, Christian books and podcasts and sermons, and I'll start, you know, reading articles and, you know, looking at um, what, what is this preacher doing at that church or this, and, and I'll start thinking of that, and then I just get locked into what they're saying. And so I can easily approach God and say, well, is just spending time alone with you better than this? I get locked into that, and then I come out of it, and I go, well, what am I really doing? What am I really saying? Am I really experiencing God, or am I experiencing someone else's thoughts? Am I really experiencing what Jesus has? I have access to the God of the universe. The Bible says that you know, we're the temple of God now. We have access to the God of the universe, the antidote of our problems, our weariness. We have access to the God the Bible says can do exceedingly and immeasurably more than we can ever think or imagine. We have access to God who says that nothing is impossible through him. We have access to a God who came down and died for us and we turn to a book, to a relationship, to success, alcohol. Sometimes we just overcomplicate. So let me ask you again, what well are you drinking from? Are you approaching God and drinking from the well that he gives that you lay all this other stuff aside? You lay it all aside, and we just turn to the simplicity of the gospel, which is a relationship with Jesus. And so whatever these wells are back here that you've been drawn from, and it could be even good things, and they're not necessarily even bad, like reading a good book by a Christian author is really great sometimes, or being successful is really awesome sometimes. But the simplicity is moving that aside and saying, God, you are better than these things. You didn't come to die for me that I would turn to someone else's thoughts. You didn't come and die for me that I might just live my life trying to progress and progress. You didn't die for me for those things. You died for me so that I would be in a relationship with you. Just me and you. And that's the simplicity of the gospel right there. And this can be hard. It can take work sometimes. Just seeking out the presence of God. And that can look like maybe a, a, a quiet walk, a prayer where you start with that prayer of thirst and it starts with acknowledging where you, you're drinking from. God, this is the well I've been drinking from. I've been drinking from the wrong well. God, this is the appetite that I'm feeding and I've been feeding the wrong appetite. And then it moves into that stance like David took. 
God, how I thirst for just you. Not any of this other stuff. I just thirst for you and I long for you. And I lay this stuff down. You know, we can go through life feeding our appetites, digging our own wells. Everything we have, everything we have means nothing if Jesus is not our main desire. What appetite are you feeding? What well are you drinking from today? So there's probably a couple different groups of people in the room right now. There might be some people that are very skeptical of, I'm not even sure about this whole thing about Jesus laying things down. There's probably some people in the room here that are very seasoned Christians. And you know exactly what I'm talking about when you haven't read your Bible in a long time, but man, how many Christian books you've read. When you haven't prayed and been alone with God, but you've listened to a lot of sermons. There's some young people here in the room that you know that the appetite that your parent chose instead of you, it led you down a path where you are today that you don't even know what spiritual discipline looks like. You don't even know how to be, how to discipline your spirit. And you want to, but you don't know even how. There might be some people in here that you're just hanging on by a thread. Life didn't turn out the way you thought it would. You thought you were doing the right thing. You thought you were being a good follower of Christ. And life isn't panning out the right way. And you're just hanging on by a thread. There's a lot of different perspectives in this room right now. But here's the one thing we can all come in common together at right now. Is that we all can share the same desire. We might all be, have been drinking from different wells, but right now we can share the same desire and thirsting for God. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go into a, just a time of prayer really quickly. And even though we don't have an abundant amount of time, here's what I want to ask of you. I want to ask of you to first acknowledge what appetite have you been feeding? What well have you been drinking from? First acknowledge that. And as, and as we go into this prayer time, just between you and God in your own words, it doesn't have to be anything fancy. Just say, God, this is what it's been. This is the spiritual discipline right here, young person. All right? Acknowledging that. This is what it is. I've been drinking from the wrong well, God. And now I'm turning to you. I want to drink from your well. God, how I long for you. How I desire you and want you. And that this today isn't just the isn't just the end of something, that you did something and now it's over, but today is the start of a spiritual discipline, that we do this on a very regular basis. This is part of your regular prayer life, is a prayer of thirst. And so we're going to experience this together, and we're all going to start this prayer of thirst right here, but it doesn't end, it just starts. And so first, let's acknowledge, and second, let's desire and tell God we thirst for him. And even if you feel dry and you're like, I don't even know how to say that right now. Remember, your soul longs for Jesus more than you know. You can even just say, God, here's the well I've been drinking from. And I know that my spirit longs for you, but my mind isn't there yet. God, help me get there. Let's just take a moment. We're just going to pray that prayer just in your own heart and mind. And then we're going to wrap it up.
God, you know every heart in the room right now. God, you see the young person and they're struggling. God, you see the more seasoned person and they're struggling. God, you know the dehydrated spirits. God, you know the appetites we've chosen. God, you know the wells that we've drank from. God, and we just acknowledge those to you. We just acknowledge that and give it to you and say, Lord, we long for that spring of life that you give. How our souls long for you, Jesus. God, we turn to you right now. Fill us today. How good you are. We love you and thank you and pray this in your name. Amen. Well, we thank you so much for finding North Church Sermons Online, and we hope that the message today brought value and enrichment to your life. If you'd like to participate in the giving of this ministry, there's a couple of easy ways for you to do that. You can text the word NORTH to 77977 and receive a text back and get your online giving set up in under 60 seconds. Or else you can visit us online at northchurch.net and click on Give Online and participating in the things that God's doing right here at North Church. We thank you so much for joining us. God bless.